Welcome everyone to the Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and I have with me Jeff Powell. Jeff, good morning to you. Good morning. So, and Jeff, uh, good morning to you as well. Uh, Jeff is a managing partner of Polaris, and he is also the chief investment officer. So Jeff, uh, really looking forward to our conversation today. And we have a really timely uh, piece that we're gonna be talking about, um, and that is the seasonality of markets. And so this is something that I see revisited in the media every time we get towards this part of the year. And to be uh, quite frank, Jeff, I think there's a lot of confusion and uh, just a lot of lack of clarity as to what the seasonality of markets mean, and then also how people can uh, interpret the data that we're seeing. But can you give us an overview of what people are referencing when they talk about the seasonality of markets? Well, one of the ways that they'll know that the media is talking about this is uh, there's kind of a couple of catchphrases that, uh, that the, the media, as well as the financial industry, loves to use. There's a, a term, sell in May and go away. Uh, what they don't tell you is when to come back. Uh, and then you've got uh, another one that is referred to as June gloom. Uh, and for those listening uh, on the West Coast, uh, primarily in, in California, you know exactly what June gloom means. Uh, where we get most of our fog. So we kind of laugh at the tourists that come to California in June and July expecting to uh, be surfing and putting uh, sunblock on. And what they don't realize is that it's going to be foggy until about two or three in the afternoon, and then it will finally burn off. And then you'll have about two hours of sunlight, and then it'll get cold again. So really what we're talking about with uh, with the seasonality is, is that there are um, presumably times that are better than not within the markets to invest and have your money fully invested and, and not. And so when people are using these catchphrases, they're using it more to, um, it's a good buzzword. It's a, an easy way to remember things. Uh, there are kind of fun ways of, of talking about the markets really. Got it. And so um, if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like we're talking about, I guess, relatively simple, what could be a trading pattern or a market behavior pattern um, that tends to emerge uh, consistently over time. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the debatable thing here is really the the predictability and and um, and um, the consistency of it. But yeah, so if you're looking at, for example, uh, the month of June, uh, and we're looking at solely uh, that Dow Jones Industrial Average for for these purposes. Over the last 20 years, it's been negative. Uh, it's been actually at highest for the, the second worst month of the year. Uh, if you go out further, on the other hand, it's not bad. But uh, over the last 20 years, uh, June has been more negative than positive, and, and it's actually only had 40% of the time as the uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average produced a positive return uh, during the month of June. So that's where it gets kind of that nickname of June gloom. Well, how do you attach kind of gloomy weather, you know, and a gloomy stock market? And so it's a, a way to try to tie them together and, uh, and help people understand uh, the good and the bad with uh, with each other. Got it. So, and Jeff, I know you have some of the historical uh analytics on some of the trends that have emerged. Can you walk us through some of the trends that people will likely hear referenced in the news outlets? And I know there's different ranges that people will use, but what are some of the uh, the patterns that people have identified? Well, there's uh, the January effect, uh, which is as January goes, so does the rest of the, the year historically. Uh, when you look at that, it's 
Uh, it's really tied much more to positive than negative uh, returns. Uh, but basically, the the theory behind it is if you have a positive January, then February through December are positive months as well. Uh, if you're looking at that again, uh, we've we've done some write-ups on it in days past. It's not particularly accurate, uh, especially when it's a, a negative market. You can kind of flip a coin uh, if you're going to be correct or, or not correct with regard to it. So. Um, uh, so I kind of joked within an article a long time ago that if it was positive, then you're great, you're going to have uh, a high probability of a, a positive February through December. If it's negative, you might as well flip a coin if it's going to remain negative or not for February on through December. Um, the sell a man go away uh, phrase, and again, that's one that is used uh, a lot in the business. The ideology behind it, and there's two kind of thought processes because some people I go six months and some people go five. Uh, but the idea behind it, uh, April historically has been a very strong month in the market. So the idea behind it is in May, you sell uh, your portfolio and then you either revisit it uh, back in September or October. I'm sorry, either October or November. So it really kind of just depends on uh, which of the uh, time periods you're believing. And so you're either out of the market for five year, five months or for six months and then revisiting. A lot of people are a little bit afraid of October, given the fact that we, uh, the Great Depression began in October. We also had October 19th, 1987, obviously a uh, big negative day in the markets there. Um, and so people think of October as being negative when in fact, it's actually one of the stronger months historically to be an investor. So uh, again, depending on how far back you're looking at your numbers. The issue uh, out of all this, and I mean, this is kind of the, I think the the crux of the question really is, can you really act upon it? And, you know, again, uh, looking over different time periods, it, it makes it much more challenging depending on what, you know, time period you're dealing with. If you've avoided a, a few big negative uh, time periods, then that's great. Uh, the problem behind it is, is far too often uh, you are not uh, able to avoid those, or you'll have a back-to-back -back negative October through April or September through April, depending on what your ideology was. You'll have a negative there, and then you'll have a positive uh, spring and summer, and then all of a sudden now you're questioning if you're investing in it or not. But the big thing that they're running after here and, and out of this is uh, and I'm going to talk about the five on seven or five off seven on environment with the S&P 500. So imagine you had two IRAs, $10,000 in each. This is the beginning in 1950. Um, and I'm talking May of October, uh, May through September of 1950, and then carrying into 1951 and beyond. Had you $10,000 in each of these different accounts, one that you invested solely May through September, the other you solely invested October through April. So again, you, you're cashing out on the last day of each one of these tra uh, trading days. Your $10,000 for May through September would have grown from $10,000 to $15,000, a $5,000 gain over a 71-year time period. The $10,000 in the October through April, on the other hand, grows by 1.5 million. So a really big, big disparity behind it. Uh, and that's really oftentimes what people are talking about because there have been 
some pretty large negative time periods uh, in which have taken away the returns during that, that uh, uh, lull from May through September. Yeah, that's actually uh, shockingly large on the disparity between the two um, and uh, much larger than I think uh, most people would have guessed at. So Jeff, given uh, the fact that these patterns do emerge, although um, when we look at shorter term data, sometimes it can be a little bit fleeting, what are some of the things that we can realistically do with this type of knowledge and information? I know that telling someone to blow out completely of their portfolio and then trigger all the taxes and have to pay short-term taxes, that's probably not the most realistic for most investors. So what, what do we do with this knowledge and, and information that we have? Well, I mean, I think you, you need to, first of all, compartmentalize it. I mean, let's, to your exact point that you just made, there are, are far too many time periods in which you got a very healthy return uh, during May through September. Uh, a prime example would be last year. Uh, that time period, you would have missed out on a 15% return. In 2018, you would have missed out on a 10% return. So if you actually look at the last five years in the market, uh, the May through September time period has a slightly better return uh, than if you were to invest solely in the October through April. So you know, just realize, I mean, it's just like anything else. It's a data point. It's something that maybe you put in the back of your mind. Maybe it's something that you compartmentalize and say, maybe I want to uh, be a little bit more defensive with what I'm doing within the markets. Uh, but there, are, again, are far too many times in which uh, had you done this, you would have been in big trouble. Uh, I look out at um, uh, the Great Recession also as a prime example of that. So had you been playing this game, yes, you would have missed out on the may through september of 08 which was a negative 15 percent return but then you pile all your money into the markets you lose 25 percent in um 2009 uh into 2010 and then or i'm sorry you know basically the october of 08 through uh april of 09 you lose 25 percent and then you decide to pull out just when the markets give back 21 percent return how do you how do you do that? How do you sit there and and put blinders on just based upon a calendar and make a decision uh, for your portfolio and your financial health so based solely on something that is seasonal? It just it, you would have committed financial suicide in that circumstance uh, to have lost twenty five percent and then sat on the sidelines and missed out on a huge return uh, the the next spring. It just doesn't make any sense. Got it. And I think that's very helpful because I know a lot of times we want to think that there's a simple pattern that's just going to juice up returns and, and make it that easy. But to your point, Jeff, especially when it comes to something as complex and dynamic as the market is, there's never anything that easy. I am curious with, with this knowledge that we have that we know that there's a greater tendency for some of the weakness or some of the negative news, if you will, to be pressed into the market. Does that change the way that we look at some of our uh, key pillars for um, reading the markets and where we want to be invested? I mean, it, it certainly sticks in, in the back of one's mind that, that we are you know, in summertime. Uh, I would say that the bigger influences is that you tend to see less trading. People are on vacation more so volumes come down uh if there is an event uh having lower volume and uh and more 
pressure, either buying or selling, can make the markets move more uh, rapidly in different directions as a, a direct result of that. So those are things that we look at, but we, we're going to stick to our guns with the tried and true. Uh, we're going to stick to our four pillars of investing. We're going to look at what's going on technically with the markets. I mean, if we started to see that the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones or you know, one of the major indexes was starting to express a significant downside, we would be uh, looking to start to get defensive within those segments of the marketplace. Uh, conversely, if they're if our four pillars are showing positivity, we're going to continue to be investing. So it's just keeping our discipline. Uh, I think that a lot of people, like you said, want to find the simple out. They want to find patterns where there aren't patterns. Um, and again, it's a human, uh, you know, it, it's almost buried in our DNA to sit there and be able to try to find patterns. It's like trying to find, you know, a, a lion in the grass or something of that nature. You're trying to do everything you can. Uh, from a defensive mechanism to understand uh, a pattern that may or may not truly be there. So this is a fight or flight type of environment where you're you're trying to make a decision on what's best for you financially uh, when you might be you know scaring yourself uh, out of you know going out when uh, you think there's a tiger out there and there really isn't one. Yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense. That um, it's something that we've learned to do as a species to uh, survive and. Uh, to your point, sometimes we uh, may look for or even recognize patterns that may or may not be fully established out there. So Jeff, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, and that's the January effect. I think it'd be interesting for our listeners, um, just in what does that suggest is going to take place this year? We talked about uh, that as January goes, so does the rest of the year is the ideology behind it. Um, if you, again, are looking at uh, the S&P 500 from 1950 to present, uh, when you have a positive January, uh, February through December has averaged close to a 12% return. Uh, when you have a negative January, uh, February through December has historically provided you only a 2% return. Uh, so it, it basically is, is saying out there that you're not going to get much in the way of, of positive return. Now, that all being said, in this January, we had a negative January. Uh, negative, just slightly over 1% negative. We also had a negative January last year. Uh, and if you'd have missed out on February through December, you missed out on a 16% return. And in fact, if you go back and look at the last 10 negative Januaries, February through December, uh, you had nine out of 10 uh, showing very positive returns. So um, again, some of the historics make some sense. You definitely have uh, had some influence, and obviously, if you're having a negative January, you're starting off in the hole for the rest of the year, uh, depending on how negative you are. So uh, that's really part of what they're they're talking about with the influence is that you're already in a negative trend. Are you going to continue that negative trend, or are you going to buck it and try to fight back out of it? And uh, Jeff, you hit on something that I think is interesting, and this may be a topic worth revisiting in a later conversation, but um, with a lot of these things, people are looking at the entire market, or at least a, a big swath of the market. And um, as you're talking, it, it makes me wonder that uh, there may be different setter, uh, sector patterns or rotation patterns that may be a more effective way to try to uh, use some of this information. Um, I don't know if you have any initial thoughts there, um, but uh, something that I think might be worth revisiting because um, in the player strategies, I know one of the areas that we really have uh, derived a lot of value is the fact that we're sector agnostic, meaning that we will 
hold or not hold the sector for that matter based on forward research and expectations. Any, I guess, thoughts there or any comments there um, with regard to this topic? Yeah, I mean, what you always want to be looking for within markets is, is market leadership. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know of as much with regard to seasonality trends uh, of specific uh, areas uh, of, of markets. I mean, I, I think that technology historically has kind of followed the, the generalized market with regard to, um, you know, how it trends. But that all being said, uh, just because you're dealing with that then, doesn't necessarily mean that you want to be saying that it follows it now. Um, there are longer terms of so commodities, for example, go in these long term uh, ebbs and flows of, of bull and bearish uh, trends that goes on. And the month doesn't really come into play much with regard to that. So a lot of the other uh, broad based, I mean, obviously, if you're going to push around a broad based market, uh, and the ways that we're talking about, historically speaking, the larger sec segments of the marketplace and the larger companies in the marketplace are going to have to be the ones that actually are moving that market. So uh, from a historical standpoint, you would really, really want to be looking at those things. Um, you could also revert back to where there are defensive segments within the market. So, for example, again, we've talked this out multiple times, but Rust, R-U-S-T, um, which would be uh, real estate utilities, staples, and telecommunication. Those are your more defensive areas of the market. So if you want to remain invest invested and you think that the markets may have uh, more volatility or more downside risk, uh, then you could certainly go in and be looking at the market as an overall and uh, look to it and say, I'm going to play the market, but I'm going to play it in a, a lower beta, less risky way. Yeah. No, that's that's great, Jeff. And so my my big takeaway from everything that you shared is that while these seasonality patterns are interesting and they certainly give us a nice thing to talk about, there's a lot more advanced or sophisticated ways to look at and read the market, which is what we're doing at Polaris um, and uh, why we put so much into our analytics is that there's just better ways to try to read and assess what's happening because these patterns, as interesting as they may be, I mean, they sometimes just don't work, right? The last five years would be a great example of that where uh, you would have made you actually do the opposite of what you should have done. Is that a fair summary from what you shared with us today? Yeah, I think it's, I think you're spot on with it. Uh, so really what we want to be looking at is an understanding that there uh, there can be trend in markets, but uh, trend is, is certainly uh, something that uh, there's a phrase, let the trend be your friend, but you don't certainly want to, uh, allow a historic uh, data point be the reason why you're doing something in the future. So you just need to be smart about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, Jeff, as always, really appreciate your time and expertise. Um, it's all very fascinating. I'm sure uh, our listeners um, uh, enjoy just getting a little bit more clarity for some of the things that are often just kind of thrown out there, <clears throat> especially uh, with different media companies. Um, so, and uh, I hope you have a great uh, rest of your uh, your morning here, Jeff. And to all of our listeners, um, as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. 
This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.